Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Another Hamilton project is tackling housing affordability. What is going on with the old Connolly project in downtown Hamilton? How much do you know about breast cancer? The Ticats and Alouettes duke it out for second place in the East Division. Find out how the NFL has pushed black coaches to the back of the line. And we introduce you to a remarkable McMaster University student athlete. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. Podcast on 900 CHML. Endwell is celebrating the grand opening of the Oaks. It's a new 108-unit affordable housing complex at 247 East Avenue North near Barton Street. And here to talk about it is the CEO of Endwell, Jeff Nevin. Jeff, good morning. Welcome to the show. It's so good to be here this morning. Tell us about this project. This sounds really exciting. Yeah, this, this project is exciting. It's uh, especially exciting for me. I live in Ward 3, uh, and uh, this, this project's right in the heart of Ward 3 here, and it's 108 new units of uh, affordable housing, uh, three buildings. Um, it's an adaptive reuse of the uh, original stable and carriage house of the Royal Oak Dairy that was there. Um, and uh, in, in that building, we, we're calling it uh, Ada Ning. It's a partnership with our partners at Sacagawea Nonprofit Housing, um, and uh, two other buildings, including uh, the Dairy Lofts, which um, is 43 units, and uh, the facade reflects the original uh, Royal Oak Dairy, the, the bottling plant there. And, uh, and then the third building is um, uh, what we're calling Hartwood place and um and that's that's an additional 52 units and so together 108 new units of housing but more importantly it's 108 people that uh are able to move into their uh permanent affordable homes so it's a really exciting day today uh to 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 celebrate the grand opening of, of of this project this being an affordable housing project who is this complex geared towards Who, who's going to be living there sure so at indwell uh our focus is uh in, in helping people with who, who require deep affordability uh for us that's uh often it, it's rents around uh 550 a month um and um targeting folks who have been living in poverty often due to a disability um and um and, and folks who are looking for what we, we talk about is health, wellness, and belonging. And so um, we've, the buildings are already spoken for um, and, and animated, filled with people. And it's just really exciting to see the community coming together there and um, celebrating a, a, a new, um, yeah, a, a new community right here in, 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 the, in the heart of our city. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Jeff Nevin, the CEO of Indwell, celebrating the grand opening later on today of the Oaks, a new 108-unit affordable housing project at East Avenue North, just south of Barton Street. How big of a dent or how small of a dent does this put in the affordable housing crisis in this city? What kind of impact is it going to have? 
Yeah. So, so for the 108 people uh, that are moving into the, this building or have moved into this, these buildings, it is an enormous impact. Uh, as you can imagine, um, it, we know that uh, homelessness and precarious housing is a crisis in our city. And, and some have described it as hitting the jackpot, being able to have your own permanent uh, apartment. Uh, but for those who um, didn't get one of these units, that's, that's a challenge. And we know that we still have thousands of units yet to create in our city. And, and so that's the, the, the tension we live in. Today, we celebrate these units and tomorrow we get back to work in creating uh, hundreds, thousands more units for people who still need housing. And that's the real challenge is, you know, finding the space, finding the money. Uh, th there's a lot of question marks that, you know, hang about when you are planning these sort of things. How much, how much work, how much money, how much effort goes into developing a complex like this? Yeah, so just over four years ago, um, I, I was walking through this building and looking at it and seeing the uh, amount and number of squatters who were living in this uh, former um evidence, I should say, of squatters living in a, in a, in a former uh, manufacturing facility, this dairy uh, facility. And, and the neighbors were uh, letting us know of, of the challenges that they were experiencing with the property. And, and so just over four years ago, um, we said, well, let's buy it and let's, uh, let's see if we can turn this into affordable housing. And along the way, we've had so many great partners, the neighbors themselves, uh, the Hamilton Community Foundation came uh, right up front and lent us the money to be able to purchase the property um, and so many partners. And, and along the way, um, would you believe this? We have fundraised over $5 million in private donations for, for, for these three buildings. So it's, it's really, um, today we're, we're celebrating, but it's far bigger than just Indwell. It is really um, a culmination of a community's efforts to uh, demonstrate our values to, to, to our neighbors. This is why Hamilton is such an amazing place to live because we have so many great contributors, whether that is uh, financially or through time or through efforts, blood, sweat, uh, tears in some cases as well. And it's projects like these that, uh, you know, allow us to look ahead to say we can do it again. And Indwell is going to be front and center uh, of this effort. Jeff, really appreciate your time today. Congratulations on this grand opening. And we're certainly looking forward to the next project that comes down the line. Thanks for the time today. Thank you very much. That's Jeff Nevin, CEO of Indwell, and you can check out the new complex at 247 East Avenue North near Barton. There's actually going to be a free concert tomorrow night at 7 at the facility with Canadian singer-songwriter Isque. so check that out. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This is Good Morning Hamilton, you're listening to 900 CHML, Rick Samprin with you. Well, everyone who's driven past the old James Street Baptist Church at the corner of James and Jackson in downtown Hamilton over the last, what is it now, five, six, seven, eight years, has thought to themselves, what the heck's going on? Well, as you know, the face of that iconic church, which is still standing, along with a gaping field of debris behind it, have just been sitting there for what seems like an eternity now, waiting for a developer, a developer to finish the original job. And that original job was to build a condo building using the church's facade as a unique entrance. The project, which has been known as the Connolly for, for more often than not, has false started a couple of times now, but it appears that it has new life once again, as a new developer has stepped forward to 
what we hope is construct a condo tower on that site. Janice Brown is our guest. Janice is a longtime heritage advocate with the Duran Neighborhood Association, a member of the uh, Hamilton Heritage Committee as well. Janice, welcome to the show. How are you? Well, thank you very much. Um, unfortunately, Rick, I'm not as positive as you are. So let's let's begin. You ask me the questions. I'll do my best to uh, get you up to speed on how uh, this became uh, an issue and still is an issue. Thank you. Yeah, let's dive right into it. What do you think of the latest news regarding this project? Because we've had, we've had developers come and go. Where's your mindset right now? I have absolutely no idea where this is going. <laughs> uh, first of all, um, I understand that Milbourne Group of Toronto are uh, real estate promoters, investors. I have no idea who has the money. I'm not even sure what they paid for it. I can tell you way back when, when Louis Zantaguida purchased this in 2013, he paid $610,000 because he knew that there were issues with the church and he would have to spend money in order to bring it back and build his so-called 30-story tower. Um, then I understand, well, you know what happened. Uh, that property, uh, uh, it ended up, he could not undertake this. All of a sudden, it was in imminent danger. It was imminently going to fall down. And he requested a demolition, uh, sorry, an alteration permit. It was classified as an alteration permit. And that's in 2014, 13, that's when the Durand and myself and those of us that were really heavily engaged in, uh, in heritage advocacy at that time stepped in because we could not understand that that it would be called a minor alteration um, because it, it, it certainly in our, in our estimation was not minor when two thirds or so-called four fifths of the building was coming down. It did come down in 2015 and it came down under something that was called delegated authority. That was another issue with the Duran Neighborhood Association. We as public had absolutely no input because it was a minor alteration, regardless to the fact that it was it had to go to heritage permit review and ultimately uh, organization they call LACAC, which is now Hamilton Municipal Heritage Committee. Same thing, just different name. Um, that uh, did not sit well with us. We knew that was a landmark building. It was a designated building, built in 1878 by Patrick uh, Connolly, uh, who designed St. Patrick's Church, which, which is standing beautifully, and there are a lot of similarities. Um, so very upset with Louis. And of course, there was some investigation that we undertook, and we had an excellent reporter from the spec investigate. And lo and behold, uh, Stanton Renaissance had never built a building. Uh, he'd had another company, and he had several bankruptcies across the province of Ontario. So why the city of Hamilton even, even got into bed with Mr. Santaguida and believed what he could do was beyond us. So now I'm talking citizen here. I'm talking people are ups that are upset with the city of Hamilton process. Anyway, that stalled. It failed. He's out of town in 2017. It's under bankruptcy. And that building is sitting vacant. And not one single inspection once it went into bankruptcy. And in that so-called uh, one-third remaining or one-fifth remaining were all these artifacts that were to be stored and looked after. There were conditions that were supposed to be met. Well, apparently in bankruptcy, no one has responsibility. So no one knows the state of those heritage at, at, attributes, attributes and the conditions that were there. 
Finally, Mr. Alan Lee Hugh, I think is that's his name, Hugh? Alan Lee Nam, sorry, Hugh Developments comes in. He is now going to be our savior. I'll never forget Counselor Farr. And I'm saying, Jason, do you really believe this? Oh, yes. Well, of course, none of us were falling for that again. And uh, the unfortunate part was he came out gangbusters. He put up his hordes. He lit that walk area on James Street South with these beautiful Chinese lanterns. Oh, my God. I thought it's New Year's. Something something is going to happen. Well, that didn't hang on for long. Uh, no cleanup. I call it a war zone right in the downtown James Street South. Jackson Street South, a National Historic Beautiful Church, St. Paul sitting there, Leuna Developments doing their work across the road, and you've got a war zone in downtown Hamilton. No cleanup, uh, having to go after him uh, to clean the hordes up. Could he do something with the, the back 40 that was sitting? No protection of heritage products, uh, uh, attributes. Then a fire, and apparently in the building, supposedly, were remnants that were being stored. I have no idea what kind of damage. People said no damage. How could they know no damage if they don't know what's in there? So I, I, no good feelings about that. Anyway, Mr. Lee Nam was having all sorts of financial difficulties, and this came to light very quickly. Uh, he got his heritage uh, permit uh, renewed in 2020 when he bought. He bought for $9 million, by the way, so from $610,000, now it's $9 million. And But he lost his investors, blamed it on the pandemic, da-da-da, whatever. Regardless, he leaves town. Now we've got somebody else. We don't even know who the investors are. And apparently they're going to use the same plans. They're going to use McCallum Sather. And as far as I'm concerned, same old, same old. And I will believe it when I actually see something positive happen on the site. And you know what that would be? clean it up, at least do that. And why not grass it, grass it for the community, put a few picnic benches in and let's just secure that part that is the heritage part. I mean, wouldn't that be the sign of a community, of a good developer who's really concerned about the community? Wouldn't that be the sign of a developer who like Leuna, like Steve Kulikowski and Core Urban, they get their shovels into the ground. Um, there weren't even with, with going back to Santa Guida, when that dem sorry demolition minor alteration was requested, he didn't even have a site plan, no approvals. Question: How can you allow demolitions, minor alterations like that, with no site plan approvals in place? That's why Hamilton looks like a war zone when and we've got so many parking lots sitting vacant and and in such bad dis disrepair. Every time I drive past that site, I get a sinking feeling, you know, seeing the rubble, seeing what could be what once was. How does it make you feel when you're around that area? Uh, you know what? I have been, uh, I'm, I'm a downtown girl. I grew up in the North End. So I am very familiar with the old, Ham I'm 78 years old. I'm, I'm very familiar with the old Hamilton. It was, it was my playground. Uh, you know, there weren't a lot of cars around. We, we could walk from the North End downtown. I, I knew all of those buildings. I shopped in those buildings. I, I spent my life in many of the buildings. And when I see our heritage disappearing, because I call it demolition by neglect, I think that that should that should really make people think about who ha what Hamilton 
who the city is, what we stand for. I like my city. I like the history. I'm not saying that I don't like new builds. Of course, I like new builds. And, I, and I'm and i not opposed to density. I live in the Durand. I live in one of the densest neighborhoods downtown. But I want to see good architecture. I do not want to see my heritage disappear. And I am seeing it. What are the odds that this project gets done in the next 10, 20 years? What percentage would you put that at? I, I don't know. I'm going to be dead. <laughs> I, well, let's hope that. you're not. Yeah. You know what? I, I tell you, words mean nothing. I need to see action. And right now there is no action or whatever action. It's got to be action that is imminent. Something like the place was going to fall down. I want imminent. Uh, I want to see I want to see what Leona is doing. I want to see what uh, what happened on Augusta Street. I want to see what happened on James South next to the Medical Arts Building. The, to me, that's positive. And what Bill Curran did on King Street. I, I love the fact that he's taken that old building at King and Catherine and then he's added to it. Okay, that's saving some heritage and then adding some density. Those are things that are positive. I, I, I'm, I like what's going on at uh, the Connaught. Now, I'm a little concerned for those folks in their lobby, but I love the fact that the Royal Connaught is still standing there. That's that's part of my history and heritage. So yeah. Yeah. we have a number of amazing projects that have been completed or are still you know, uh, being done. Let's hope this gets added to the list sometime soon, because it'll be mm -hmm. great to see eventually, fingers crossed, something actually be finalized. Janice, we'll have to leave it there as we're plumb out of time. I really appreciate your time today. No problem. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Lots of fun. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. This year, there's going to be about 28,000 Canadians who are going to have their life rattled by the news that they've been diagnosed with breast cancer. There's a new survey out by Breast Cancer Canada that shows 87% of Ontario residents who are going to receive this news this year feel unprepared to deal with a breast cancer diagnosis for themselves or for a loved one. Here to talk about it is Kimberly Carson, the CEO of Breast Cancer Canada. Kimberly, good morning. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Ruth. Thanks very much on this chilly let's morning. <laughs> yeah, let's yeah, very much so. Let's dive into this study. Is there is there a statistic or two that you see in the No More Breast Cancer survey that really sticks out to you? Yeah, obviously the one that you quoted that almost 90% of the the respondents didn't wouldn't be prepared. And I think the reason that's so shocking is that the World Health Organization in February of 2021 stated that breast cancer is the most diagnosed cancer in the world. So there's a huge disconnect between what people are prepared for and what they know about breast cancer and the fact that it's, you know, it, as you said, 28,000 one in eight women in Canada this year will get that diagnosis in their lifetime. So, and then the other one that, that's probably uh, really shocking to, to us is most people don't understand or can't even guess that there's more than 50 types of breast cancer. So it's kind of not a one-size-fits-all anymore where, you know, you're diagnosed with breast cancer and here's your treatment plan. We've learned through research that the treatment plan needs to be specific for the type of breast cancer that they've been diagnosed. So that's what's prompted our whole no more campaign. Please find out more. You know, there's lots of research to say that, you know, your type of breast cancer might be entirely different than somebody else's breast cancer. To give you an example, only 15% of breast cancers 
really respond to chemotherapy. So just because you have a breast cancer diagnosis, you may not be going through chemotherapy, even though someone else you know has breast cancer and is going through chemotherapy. So it's things like that that are so shocking in the survey to us. I, I found some uh, things surprising, including that, yeah, in, indeed, there are over 50 types of breast cancer, which I had no idea, and 76% of Ontarians who were surveyed were unable to even, you know, guess that there were that many, which must make, you know, fundraising and research and everything that goes in between those two scenarios extremely difficult, knowing that there's so many different varieties. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's what I think our responsibility at Breast Cancer Canada is to actually try to encourage people to learn more about breast cancer. I mean, it is the number one diagnosed cancer in the world. You know, 78 people today are going to find out that news. It doesn't mean it's life-threatening anymore. And the faster we catch it, the sooner we can diagnose it, the better your chances are. The one stat that stuck out to me, and there's many of them in this, uh, the the No More Breast Cancer Survey, 79% of Ontario women feel they have more to learn about breast cancer and how it could affect them. And I looked at that number and I thought, is that a high number or is that a low number, given the fact that I think most women, I I would assume, don't really pay that much attention to the what-ifs in life, including cancer, until it becomes a reality. Should that mindset change? Absolutely. Um, And one of the other statistics that's interesting from the survey as well is how many people put off, you know, seeing their primary care advisor or having any of those follow-up tests done, and that includes mammograms. So we're absolutely encouraging people to get those mammograms done because the sooner we catch it, the better we can treat it, the more specific the treatment becomes for your type of breast cancer. So, you know, the more that Again, the more we know, the sooner we can end it, which is the campaign that we're running now. So, you know, pay attention to your breast health, get your your mammograms done, and learn more about breast cancer. You mentioned the mammograms, and we're in discussion with Kimberly Carson, CEO of Breast Cancer Canada. We're talking about a new survey that shows 87% of Ontario residents who receive a diagnosis uh, feel unprepared or underprepared to deal with a, a diagnosis for themselves or for a loved one. The the mammogram scenario, there's a statistics in the survey that shows that nationally 13%, and here in Ontario it's 14%, put off mammograms because of fear or uncertainty, and another 15% nationally and 10% in Ontario don't think they're necessary. Um, <laughs> I would think that preventative checkups should not be ignored. Absolutely. Um, and they are necessary, and it doesn't matter if there's a history in your family or not there are certain types of breast cancer yes that are hereditary but i will tell you that there are a lot that are not so i think that's what becomes so shocking for a lot of canadians when they receive that that information from their doctor their primary caregiver because you know there's no history of it in my family there doesn't have to be a history of it in your family for you to receive a breast cancer diagnosis so we're encouraging people to you know, certainly to know more, go to our our website, which is breastcancerprogress.ca. There's so much has been learned about breast cancer. So many treatments now are different. Um, There's obviously so many types, and we've learned that through research, that we're encouraging people to, you know, know your breast health, find out more, learn more, you know, be knowledgeable about this, you know, the world's number one (laughs) diagnosed cancer in the way. And, you know, that affects Canadians as well.
The survey comes as a tomorrow is World Cancer Research Day, and that word research is huge because, you know, 30, 40 years ago was much different than we are today. And you, you referenced it just a few minutes ago that, you know, a, a breast cancer diagnosis is no longer a death sentence as long as you are going to those preventative checkups, you're you're catching it early. Talk about the research component and now the the survival rate and the life expectancy of someone who has breast cancer. Yeah, so... You know, we know through we know through breast cancer research that the, the sooner we catch it, the early stages like zero, one, two, we can almost guarantee you that that five year survival rate, and that that right now is almost ninety percent. Um, so, and a lot of them, you know, we can give you a five year clear, we can give you a lifetime clear of no breast cancer, no reoccurrence. So these are amazing numbers. We have come so far with research and we have so much more to do. We anticipate that it won't be long before we'll have a blood test that will help us diagnose that breast cancer a little bit sooner than perhaps a mammogram or in combination with your mammogram where we'll be able to tell you what stage you're at with less invasive uh, surgeries, et cetera. So there's so much more we can do and there's so much more coming in the field of research for breast cancer that will make that survival rate better. It'll make that diagnosis and that treatment better. And you and everyone at Breast Cancer Canada is leading the charge. Kimberly, really appreciate your time today. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the weekend. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's Kimberly Carson, the CEO of Breast Cancer Canada. You can get more information online, cancer.ca. Get yourself informed. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. We are excited because later on tonight, it is the biggest game of the CFL season. We seem to be saying that over and over again, but tonight really is. It's the Tiger Cats and the Alouettes in Montreal on a Friday night free-for-all, a fight fest, a fisticuffs. I'm running out of F words, <laughs> and thankfully so. Uh, but many CFL pundits believe this is a must-win for both teams. Hamilton, as they charge towards the playoff spot, Montreal is trying to fend off the black and gold. What is going to happen tonight? Well, we do know one thing. Kickoff tonight on CHML is 6.30, or is that 7.30? The pregame begins at 6.30, and a half an hour after the game, we will have the fifth quarter. What happens in between all that time? Who knows? But here to give us some sliver of hope and optimism and some analysis on what may happen between the lines tonight is RJ Broadhead. He's the play-by-play announcer with the Ticats Audio Network and on 900 CHML. RJ, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. And that was uh, a terrific, terrific description with all the F words with the, the game coming up. It's, it's huge. You're right. The Ticats are fresh off of beating Winnipeg and in dominant fashion. The Alouettes are fresh because they're coming off the bye week. Does either of these teams have an edge considering where they're coming from? Boy, you could really make an argument for either team having an edge. Teams seem to do pretty well after a bye week. We saw what the Tiger Cats did last week. But, boy, we've been waiting for a Tiger Cats game like last week, last Saturday, all season long, and they did it against the two-time defending champions, and it was a, a statement game in my opinion, and I think it opened a lot of eyes, especially in the East Division, that maybe the Tiger Cats have found their game just in time. Um, So if there is an advantage, I'm going to lean toward the the Tiger Cats. One thing we know, Rick, is over the past couple of seasons, especially this season, the games against Montreal have been very close, so it should be entertaining. 
Dane Evans last week was like the Dane Evans of 2019. I mean, he was unbelievable. A career high, five touchdowns, 326 passing yards. We knew that he could do it. What what he did last week, we, we, we've seen it before. The question is, can he do it again tonight and for the rest of the year? What does your gut tell you? Yeah, I think I think he's back. He needed a game like that. Uh, well, it, it didn't even have to be that good. He, he just needed a solid game. That was a magnificent game. And I think he needed that confidence more so mentally. But he's battled injuries and, and whatever he did, uh, you know, talking to the people he had to talk to and working on his body during the bye week, it certainly paid off. He was he was fantastic. And you mentioned some of the, the, the statistics, Rick. There's there's one that really stands out to me, and it was Tiger Cats were up by 24, and Winnipeg was creeping closer, got it to within 10. They had all the momentum, and Tiger Cats really needed a long drive. And Dane Evans, coming off an injury, he ran for a, a first down. He got tackled. He didn't dive. It's just Dane Evans. You know, he, he's whatever it takes to win, he'll sacrifice himself to get that victory. But that run for nine yards kept the drive alive, and it culminated in a David Ungerer touchdown, and that really got the momentum back for the Tiger Cats. So all those great stats that Dane Evans put up, there are so many that don't st- uh, show up in the in the statistics that helped the Tiger Cats win that game. So I, I think he's back. I think the Dane Evans that Tiger Cats fans have grown to know and love is back, and I think he'll prove it again tonight. Uh, I would agree with you there because there's two throws in particular of all the ones that he made against Winnipeg that really showed me and proved to me that he was back. And it was the two kind of corner of the end zone fades, one to Steve Dunbar Jr., the other one at the end of the game to David Ungerer, in which you have to have precision, timing, finesse. I mean, everything under the sun that a quarterback needs to make that throw, he had it in spades on those two throws. Throw in confidence in there as well because you're trusting your receiver to make that grab at the at the key point of time uh, that showed to me that he was back rj broadhead is our guest here on good morning hamilton on 900 chml rj is the play-by-play announcer with the tie cats audio network cats alouettes pregame show tonight at 6 30 kickoff at 7 30 fifth quarter 30 minutes after the game defensively no dylan win tonight he's out with a knee injury tunde adelike also battling uh, a bad knee he's a game time decision tonight what should we expect from the Ticats D tonight? Yeah, those are injuries you, you, you definitely don't want. Simone Lawrence is still out. Deontay Evans, who is having a great year knocking down passes, he's still out. So there are some major injuries there. You can't replace Dylan Wynn. The good news, if there is a bit of good news, that Julian Hauser, who missed the Winnipeg game, he'll be back. So that'll help the defensive line. But we saw that great play by Malik Carney. Mason Bennett has emerged in his second season and Ted Laurent will be in there with Micah Johnson along the line so there is some depth which is is good news for the Tiger Cats uh, Adelike like you mentioned uh, a game time decision he's in my opinion the best safety in the CFL so um, it, it hopefully he can go if not uh, again there are some some pieces that the Tiger Cats can can move around to certainly not replace the talent of Tunde Adelike, but uh, can certainly get by and be uh, a very strong performer in, in the game. So we'll wait and see on Adelike. Dylan Wynn is, is disappointing. I, I love Dylan Wynn. I love watching him. I love his intensity. And he never quits on, on any play. I remember asking him last year, there was a, a 
you know, a big play and the receiver was heading toward the end zone and, and he was the one who made the tackle and he's on the defensive line. It was a 50 yard gain or it was, it was huge. I can't remember the exact yardage, but the defensive lineman going down to make the tackle. And I asked him about it and I said, how did you get down there? He goes, just looked at me seriously and said, well, the play wasn't over. So you, you, you don't see a lot of defensive linemen making plays like that way downfield that never quit on a play, and that's just Dylan Wynn in a nutshell. So his absence will be lost. Hopefully he can be back as soon as possible. But, uh, again, Julian Hauser back in there leading the team in sacks. That, that will put some pressure on Trevor Harris, which the Tiger Cats have been able to do in the previous two games. Should be a barn burner of a game. Ticats, Alouettes tonight, pregame show 6.30, kickoff 7.30, fifth quarter following the game. RJ, have a great call and enjoy the game. Okay, thanks, Rick. Good chatting with you. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Well, the Washington Post has launched an extensive series called Blackout. It's an investigative piece that has analyzed reams of data surrounding the hirings and the firings of black head coaches in the National Football League. And it also delves into their career paths, uh, the coaching trees, the networks they work in. And this season-long series points to a long-held reality for black coaches in the league that they've been relegated to the back of the line compared to their white counterparts. Joining me now is award-winning reporter with the Washington Post, Dave Shinen. Dave, good morning. How are you? I'm doing great, Rick. Thank you. This sounds like it's going to be an explosive series. Well, we hope so. Um, we think it will be. There, there's a lot more to go. We're, we're going to be rolling this out over the course of the fall, but uh, the first part is out. And uh, based on the reaction we're getting, I, I do think it's landed with um, a, a pretty sizable impact uh, in the NFL and, and, and outside the NFL. It all revolves around a class action discrimination lawsuit that uh, the NFL is now facing. What are some of the key findings that your readers will be able to see? Well, you know, it, 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 I don't know that there's any what, what you would call a, a smoking gun or anything. It was not that kind of investigation. It, what it does is paint through data and human voices um, the sheer depth of this issue and this problem for the NFL. Um, some of the key data findings are just mind-blowing. Um, even if you knew, you know, you thought you knew the the outline of this story and what's been going on, you 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 kind of have no idea until you see some of the numbers. So, you know, it's between that and the interviews we did with sixteen of the twenty four living black uh, head coaches, um, there's a lot there to chew on. What did you hear from them, and how willing were they to share their stories and their experiences? Well, you know, it, it took some arm twisting, to be honest, because, um, you know, this is, like we said, a, um, you know, a territory that's, that's been well-traveled. Uh, to some extent, these coaches are sick of talking about it. And I think what we had to do was was show them and prove to them that, that we're not just doing, you know, uh, another piece um, uh, on this issue. This is going to be the definitive study of what's gone on for decades and 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 slowly they loosened up and and what the and they shared with us their their experiences which are are powerful um you know every, everybody from Tony Dungy um to Herm Edwards Marvin Lewis um and, and then there were plenty of other lesser known coaches we talked to who never got the shot and they were even more forthcoming because they felt like they had less to lose so um it, it was very very illuminating as a reporter 
Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Dave Shinen, an award-winning reporter with the Washington Post and uh, one of the people behind this explosive new series called Blackout that you can check out uh, in the Washington Post. You mentioned a couple of names like Tony Dungy, uh, Art Shell comes to mind, one of the first to do it, Mike Tomlin still in the game and having great success. There are so many great black head coaches, coordinators, assistants. What is the divide between the black and the white when it comes to NFL? owners and nfl hierarchies well i think you nailed it there i mean the the gist of what we what we got out of this project was that it honestly comes down to the hearts of of owners in the nfl the nfl itself the league roger goodell the commissioner to a large degree they are powerless here they can put in rules like the rooney rule they can require interviews with minority candidates they can promote diversity up and down the organization but there still comes a point when and the interview process winds down and an owner makes a choice of who he's going to hire and the nfl doesn't have much say in that and so you look at the group of owners there's very few owners of color um and 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 until you know you make hearts change i don't know how you solve this problem and i also don't know how you get hearts to change um so so it's a very it's sort of an intractable problem but it does come down to what the owners want to do i would bet my house on the fact that of the 16 um blackhead coaches that you spoke to as part of this series blackout that they all thought the rooney rule was a farce or is a farce yeah, I think uh, it was almost unanimous. Yes, um, I think that a lot of them felt like it had some value in the beginning uh, when it started to put black coaches in the interview room for the first time. Uh, it did have some value then. You saw some hires made immediately in the aftermath of the Rooney Rule coming in. But then eventually, it took about maybe five years, six years. Eventually, um, owners came to understand that the, the Rooney Rule could be gamed. Um, you could just set up a sham interview with somebody just to satisfy the rule and be done with it and, and go on and hire who you want to hire in the first place. So I think that's the problem. And, and really, if there's one damning statistic uh, in this entire process, in this whole story, it's that we're at the same number of blackhead coaches in 2022 as we were the first year of the Rooney Rule, which was 2003. So there are three head coaches then. There's three black head coaches now. That's mind-boggling. What do you think the impact this blackout series is going to have on how the league operates? Well, it's hard to say. I mean, because, again, you know, you go back to the central problem of what is how is the league going to dictate hirings of, of privately owned, you know, companies which is their individual teams and, and i don't know the answer to that but i do think that it's going to cause some change it's going to cause the nfl to get some, uh, more serious about this problem and and taking more steps to address the problem so i certainly hold out hope that that's the case Hope so, too. The series is called Blackout. It's in the Washington Post, an extensive series, an investigative look at how NFL teams have pushed blackhead coaches to the back of the line in favor of their white colleagues. Dave Shinen has been our guest and award-winning reporter with the Washington Post. Dave, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for shining a light on this. Sure thing. Thank you, Rick. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. Hey, there's a McMaster University wrestler who is showing all of us how to balance the rigors of university life with the challenges of a varsity sports 
season. Simi Jayoba is a fifth-year student-athlete on the women's wrestling team and is also an engineering physics student and one of 11 recipients of the Wilson Leadership Scholar Award. And Simi joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Simi, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Rick. I'm doing great. I'm super excited to be on the radio this morning. We're super excited to have you because you have an outstanding resume on the wrestling mat, a co-captain of the varsity team, a gold medalist in the OUA uh, this year, a 2020 bronze medal winner, uh, U Sports All-Canadian. What is it about wrestling that speaks to you? Um, I think in high school, the, the first time I saw a wrestler, it was actually another woman. And I just, I had no idea that that was something that was possible. And up until that point, I hadn't participated in sport at all. So I was ready to just throw myself into something that needed my entire body. And that really pushed you to, to see what you could do. So what did your friends and family think about this? Um, I think it took a little convincing for my family <laughs> to, to get started but um largely i think you know when people find out i'm a wrestler they they say that's pretty cool um so i think it's an empowering thing for people to see um and i'm glad i'm glad for that what's the best part of it you're on the mat you're staring at your opponents the crowd's going nuts what what do you get out of the, what what's the best part of being in that scenario i think the best part is getting into a flow state where you're just focused on exactly your next step and what you're doing right there and then. And I think largely another great part of it is seeing yourself achieve even beyond what you think you're capable of. And just if you stick to wrestling or whatever it is, you can surprise yourself by how much you, you keep progressing and become someone that you don't even recognize well, you've already achieved a lot. As I mentioned, Simi Jayoba is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, a fifth-year student-athlete on the McMaster University women's wrestling team who's won a gold medal and a bronze medal in the OUA, a U-Sports All-Canadian. The other part of this whole equation is you're an amazing student in the classroom as well. Engineering physics is your uh, course of study. You're a Marauder Scholar. You are, as I mentioned, a Wilson Leadership Scholar Award. How satisfying is uh, everything you achieve on the mat is is being duplicated at such a success rate in the classroom as well? I, I think it's it's super satisfying, but I think also it just motivates me to tell other people that, I mean, to some extent, I, I never thought that I would see myself in this position exactly, just in the... Things are still difficult as you're going through them. I don't think they're ever particularly easy, but I think just staying the course, uh, my advice to anyone would be to just keep doing what you're doing and try your best, as cliche as that is. Um, but I, I'm super satisfied with, with how things are going um, and very grateful. When it comes to wrestling, and we only have about 45 seconds, when it comes to wrestling and it comes to a career, what's next in each of those lanes? For wrestling, I am focusing on creating a good environment for the rest of my team and uh, one that works really hard. And we'll be having our national championship in at the end of February or March. And I, I want to 
go to the national stage, which we didn't get to do last year and compete at my best level for that. And in terms of school, I'm finishing up my capstone project. So hopefully that goes really well. And um, after I graduate, I, I'll be working in, in industry. And I think uh, advice I was given yesterday is it's a lot easier to make a choice when you have a job. So I'm, I'm grateful to, to start working and to see where that course takes me. Well, wherever you go, you have a bright future, that is for sure. Simi Jayoba, thank you for the time uh, this morning, and congratulations on all you have and will achieve in the not-too-distant future. Thank you so much, Rick. I really appreciate it. Simi Jayoba, fifth-year student-athlete on the McMaster University women's wrestling team, one of 11 recipients of the Wilson Leadership Scholar Award. A fantastic individual, as you heard. An awesome wrestler, obviously, and a great student as well. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.